And as they go out, guys, just a little precursor to what we're going to be doing here for the next four out of five weeks. For the next four out of five weeks here in this main gathering, we're going to learn how to better see and hear. We're going to learn how to better spiritually see and better spiritually hear so that we might increasingly, as Christians, learn to be increasingly oriented to the kingdom of heaven while we're still here on the earth. That's what we're going to be doing over the next four out of five weeks. Uh, So for the past seven months, our church has been walking through the book of Kings. Uh, and that book of Kings is oriented to the old covenant kingdom of Israel. And so, so much of our life together has been oriented by an earthbound kingdom. But now, today, in 2023, we find ourselves uh, in the new covenant kingdom. It's a life in the new covenant kingdom of heaven, where in the new covenant kingdom, there is no longer any expectation of temples of gold, no longer any expectation of earthly thrones filled by flawed men, nor any cities like Jerusalem that claim to have God uniquely dwelling in them. All that is gone in the coming of Christ. And so we now reside in the era of the kingdom of heaven or sometimes called the kingdom of God. A kingdom that is at this point spiritual in nature, not like an earthly tangible kingdom like the old covenant. And so many things today are the same as they were back then, like holiness and love and obedience and blessings and cursings. All that continues in the kingdom of heaven. But there are some things that are not the same in the new covenant kingdom. And one of those, again, is the fact that the kingdom is no longer earth bound. And so that can be difficult for us to understand. Sometimes we are more used to those earthly kingdoms, which explains why Jesus had to explain parables that began like this. The kingdom of heaven is like, which is what we're calling this new little mini series. And Jesus did that because he understood that he was needing to prepare his context and even our context for a kingdom that is not of or from this world. I don't know if some of you have seen some of these clips of colorblind people being given glasses to see color for the first time. Have you seen these? Right? They give these glasses. They've been seeing things that they're told is green and blue and purple and pink, but they've never actually seen them. These people, they put on these glasses that allow them to see purples and blues and reds for the first time in all of their glory. And so many of them, if you've seen these clips, they, they laugh and many of them cry. One of them I saw this week, a guy said, is this really what the world is like? And so, friends, that's what we're going to endeavor to do in this little mini-series. Put on these kind of glasses so that we might see more clearly the kingdom of heaven while we are still here in the earth. That we would more increasingly be oriented by it and see it all around us. This morning we begin by considering what the kingdom of heaven is is not like, uh, because sometimes, right, by contrasting two things, we can better understand things. And we'll see this this morning from John chapter 18, where Jesus says his kingdom is not from this world. If you want to go ahead and turn there, you should. John chapter 18, we'll begin in verse 33. Big idea this morning, the kingdom of heaven is not from the world. Kingdom of heaven is not from the world. But before, as you're turning there, before jumping in 
to John 18. Let me just kind of transition all of our time in the book of Kings to the new covenant kingdom by answering really quickly four questions. I think that by answering this at the front end, you guys will better understand, kind of have a smoother pathway into understanding the kingdom of heaven. So first question, just briefly to get us ready. Should the Israelites, back in that old covenant, should they have expected something like the kingdom of heaven? And the answer to that is yes. Right. And we know that. Remember when the disciples were walking into Jerusalem that final time and they they thought that the kingdom was going to appear. Remember when Jesus rode on the back of a donkey and they said, Hosanna, son of David. So, yes, they were anticipating a kind of kingdom of heaven that was taught in the Old Testament. Second question, though, some of you may ask, well, how is it, Nathan, you know that it's primarily a spiritual kingdom? Because right back in those days, they thought it was going to be a material earthly one. Uh, and we know, though, that it would be primarily spiritual in the now until the return of Christ because Jesus told us in Luke 17, verse 20 and 21. You'll see this behind me where Jesus said, being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is or there for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. So once again, it was this thing, this kingdom that was right in front, but you needed those kind of glasses to see it. So it's a spiritual nature. Third question, what is the kingdom of heaven? Before you dive into this, Nathan, can you give me a definition of what it is? Yes, it's the reign and rule of Christ. That's what the kingdom of heaven is, the reign and rule of Christ. You heard me mention just a moment ago with Julianne that Jesus declared all authority is given to me on heaven and on earth. So he is the king of kings. He reigns over all in the kingdom of heaven. And his rule, the reign and rule, His rule is where that rain pushes in and takes ground, where the light of Christ turns on and puts to the darkness to flight, where righteousness puts back unrighteousness. And so the church of Christ is where his reign and rule are most clearly seen. However, the kingdom of God is not limited to the church. It includes but goes beyond the church. And so the kingdom of heaven is the reign and rule of Christ. And then fourth and final question, is the kingdom of heaven complete? And the answer to that is no. It is begun, but it is not yet complete. It is inaugurated, but not yet consummated. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 24 says, Paul writes, Then comes the end when he, Jesus, delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. He's writing this after Jesus' ascension. So this end point is accomplished at the return of Christ, when Christ will have for what he prayed for, God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven. When Jesus returns, the resurrection of the dead will occur. Death will finally have lost its still present sting. And then the story of the chapter of redemption, that final story, is accomplished. And so in other words, Christ has won, but his victory is not yet complete. We sometimes refer to this as the already not yet. The kingdom has already come, but it's not yet complete. There's a little bit of help. Here we go. John chapter 18. Big idea again, the kingdom of heaven is not from the world. Let me set the scene up for us. The previous night to this passage right here that you're looking at, just last night, right? Jesus had taken the Passover meal with his disciples. Judas had fled. Jesus had prayed in the garden. The soldiers came and took him away. And in the night, uh, Judas led them there. He was betrayed. They then took Jesus to this mock trial uh, by the Sanhedrin where he was falsely accused of all these wrongs. Uh, That just happened over the course of the night. 
These religious leaders want Jesus out of the way because he was stealing their glory. The only charge that stuck that night, last night, which really was just a few hours ago in the morning, the only charge that stuck was the one that was true, that he was the son of God. And so they wanted to use that and then carry him over to the occupying state. Romans. The Romans were ruling at the time there in Jerusalem. They bring him over to the, to the Romans so as to try to get him executed and get him out of the way. They carry him to the Roman governor of Judea, a guy by the name of Pontius Pilate. Pilate is disinterested in this little religious spat going on, but by the providence of God, it's thrust upon him. And then take a look at verse 33. Jesus then, having just been up all night, is carried into uh, Pilate's headquarters and Jesus, or Pilate asked Jesus, Are you the king of the Jews? Now, Pilate is likely more interested in the politics of the matter, not necessarily the spiritual realities. He's just, Pilate's just trying to do his job. Jesus, though, on this question, turns the tables on Pilate by asking him a question in response in verse 34. Do you say this of your own accord or did others say it to you about me? I hear Jesus seems to be trying to discern the spiritual status of Pilate's heart. But Pilate fires back in verse 35. Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Pilate seems to care little about Jesus' inquisition. He seems to be stating the obvious. Your own people have called you a criminal. And his question, what have you done to Jesus? He's meaning to try to understand the situation. And that is the occasion for which Jesus responds with that famous statement in verse 36. Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would, be, would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Well, friends, what Jesus is doing here is profound. And he is saying, my kingdom, three times, and my servants once, Jesus is clearly confessing the fact that he is a king. A conclusion, if you look in the very next verse, that Pilate sees himself, which I would argue Jesus also affirms. But at the very same time as Jesus saying, I am a king, he's also saying he's not an earthbound king. In other words, he's saying that he poses no threat to Rome or any other earthly kingdom for that matter, because he's a king of a kingdom who is of or from heaven. And if his kingdom was based here on the earth, he says, then his servants would have kept fighting for him to be handing over to the Jews. And so what Jesus is saying here, he says, I am a king, but I am not a king like Caesar, like Stalin or like Charles. My kingdom, Jesus says, is not of this world. It is not from the world. It's from another world, as it were. It doesn't need my kingdom, as Jesus is saying. It doesn't need armies to defend it, walls to surround it, money to supply it, power to sustain it. doesn't need campaign managers and the will of the people to run it. Because it's a kingdom of heaven, not a kingdom of the earth. There's no need for him to kind of fight to maintain control. Over the course of the next three or four weeks here, guys, we will consider how the kingdom of heaven is like heaven. But again, for today, we're considering that idea in verse 36, how it is not like the earth, how it is not rooted in, how it is not drawn from the earth, how it is not defined and kept by the earth. That's what we're thinking about. And as an application of this, friends, for us, it is blasphemous at worst, pitiful at best, 
when confessing Christians try to establish earthly Christian kingdoms. In the very places today where that has been tried, where they've tried to establish earthly Christian kingdoms, in the very places where that has been tried today, those places now today are overrun with people disinterested in the gospel for many reasons, one of which is is because they tried, these confessing Christians tried to act like the rest of the world. So from the English crusaders of the medieval era to the attempts at a Lutheran state in Germany, to the now foolhardy attempts in our own country to establish a Christian nationalism. All of these efforts fail to understand Jesus' words right here. And not only that, they fail to understand the shape of the Christian life in advance of Christ's return. You heard heard, uh, Chris pray for it. Namely, that the Christian life, as we have been taught, is cross-shaped and glory-bound. It is not glory-shaped and glory-bound. We are exiles, sojourners, until Christ comes and establishes his heavenly rule on earth as it is in heaven. Until then, we are told to carry our own crosses, not fight to get earthly power. We already have, beloved, a kingdom that never spoils, never fades. On every page of the New Testament, we are told to expect trials and tribulations. We are told to expect slander and seclusion. We are told time and again that we should expect to be misunderstood and mistreated because our citizenship is not of this world. It is, in fact, opposed in many ways to this world, which is why John would later write to not love the world or the things in the world, much less loving them so much that we try and establish an entire nation, say like the Spanish Inquisition that forcibly tried to convert people. No. Jesus' kingdom is not of, not from this world. Its foundations are rooted in heaven, far above the things of the earth. It's secure. Jesus, friends, doesn't need Rome when he already has Zion. He doesn't need New York City or Los Angeles when he already has the heavenly Jerusalem that is pure, undefiled, and eternally undefeated and always will be. Now, to be sure, friends, that doesn't mean that we as Christians should not contend for the faith that was once for all handed to the saints. Of course, we should contend for the faith here on the earth. Of course, we should. It doesn't mean that we kingdom citizens are not to care about the moral and spiritual slides of the earth. Of course, we should care about those things. It doesn't mean that we don't care about elections or high handed rebellion in the public square. Of course, we do. Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is the constitution and charter of we heaven bound state saints that still live in the earth. And so, yes, we do care for the truth because we believe it's best for human flourishing. We advocate, we testify, we stand for the truth of children in our schools. We care for the truth with our common man uh, in the streets and in the town halls, as it were. But, friends, we don't do so to the point of brandishing shorts and guns. Nor do we lower ourselves to the mudslinging, shaming, and slander-driven manipulation the rhetoric of the world, to gain fleeting power. No, we are in the world, beloved, but we are not of the world. As Scripture says, we endeavor to live quiet and peaceful lives as the Lord allows, because heaven is our home. His kingdom is not of or from or rooted in the earth. It doesn't need to fight to achieve, maintain, or advance its power because his kingdom is of heaven. It advances as it pleases him. And we, as his children, are citizens of heaven. We likewise don't pin our hopes on earthly kingdoms. 
And so, beloved, remember that the next election cycle. Don't get caught up in that frenzy. Care about the meaningful things. But remember, our kingdom is rooted in heaven. Christ's kingdom is built upon the transcendent such that no kingdom of the earth could ever stop it. No weapon formed against it will stand. And we see that so clearly in Jesus' claim that his kingdom is not of or from the world. Well, the next question that then should come is this. If Christ is a king of a kingdom that is not of or from the earth, then why in the world did he come? Why did he come? And by extension, what then are those that are in Christ? What are we doing here? Well, in verse 37, Pilate responds to Jesus' claim of having a kingdom by affirming, you are a king. Jesus then says in verse 37, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate then famously responds in verse 38, what is truth? A lot's going on, guys, in these passages here. In these two verses, we see three critical things about the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of the earth. We see, first off, why the king of the kingdom of heaven has come to the earth. We see that there. And then second, we learn who are the citizens of the kingdom of heaven and what they do. We see that in that verse. And thirdly, we see the, we learn about the attitude of those whose citizenship is of the earth. So let's just take each of those in turn. Take that first one. Why Jesus came to the earth, his purpose statement in part here. This is a great Christmas text, isn't it? And because it is, it explains why a king whose kingdom is not from the earth would come to the earth. What's his answer? Why did he come? To bear witness to the truth. God so loved the world that he gave his only son and his son, a heavenly king, entered the world in part to bear witness to the truth. Now, guys, the implication of Jesus' words here are incredibly insightful about our world as we know it. It explains how God understands the world. In other words, if, if God had to take on flesh and enter the world in the form of the Son to bear witness to the truth, it would seem obvious that this world as it is, is in some way, what? Ignorant of the truth, right? Blind to the things of God. Otherwise, why would Jesus need to come and bear witness to it? Jesus is saying here that the kingdoms of the earth are ignorant, blind to the truth. Therefore, Jesus, whose kingdom is not of this world, has come to then expose us to the truth, to kind of turn the lights on, as it were. Then the obvious question then comes, well, what is the truth? Exactly what Paul or Pilate says. Now, it is my belief that Pilate is being sarcastic and a bit, well, menacing in a way. But let's just give Pilate the benefit of the doubt, shall we, for a moment? We'll come back to his more sarcastic frame in a bit. But let's answer Pilate's question. Jesus says he comes to bear witness to the truth. What is the truth? Well, friends, truth is that which is real. That's what a good definition of truth. Truth is that which is real. So if I were to say, my name is Nathan Knight and I am a resident of Washington, D.C., that's true because it's real, right? If I say ice is cold and fire is hot, these things are true because they are real. They're not fake or false. And so towards that end, if I were to say unicorns are real, right? That would not be true because it's not real. There is no verifiable reality, sorry kids, of any uh, unicorns save those toys made by My Little Pony. 
All right? It's not real. Truth is that which accords to reality. And Jesus and his kingdom bears witness to the truth. He bears witness to reality as seen by God. And Jesus not only bears witness to it, he actually says just a couple chapters back in John 14, he not only bears witness to the truth, he also says that he is the truth. He is that which is real. So he personifies and testifies to reality. Reality as it is understood understood by God about the world. This, friends, is why a king from a kingdom not of this earth would come to the earth to show us the truth about God in the world and also the truth therein about men. Jesus, as it were, turns the lights on in a darkened world. And here, most fundamentally, is the truth about God and man. You say, what truth fundamentally is Jesus bearing witness to? Well, he's most fundamentally bearing witness to the truth of the gospel. That's the entire context of this passage here in John 19, or John 18 and 19. Christ, the King of glory, we see here, has been handed over by sinful men. And as John writes at the beginning of his book in John 1.11, he, Jesus, came to his own, and his own did not receive him. So that's one truth that Jesus bears witness to, that the people of God made to bear his image rejected him. And that's evident not only in these Pharisees handing Jesus over to Pilate, but take a look at what comes next in the verses. Take a look at verse 38. After this, after he had said this, he went, this is after Pilate had said what is truth. After he had said this, he went back outside, Pilate went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no fault in him. But you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a robber. The truth is that Jesus' own people preferred a criminal to a king. That's the truth. And why? Why did they do this? What's the truth behind their rejection of Christ as king? What's the truth that Jesus means to bear witness to about this rejection? Why did they do it? Earlier, John 12, 43, I think, says it clearly. They loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. That's why. Jesus said also, the only other time in the book of John where he talks about the kingdom, Jesus says to Nicodemus in John three nineteen, they loved the darkness rather than the light. The truth of God is they rejected Jesus as king because they loved getting glory from man more than they wanted to enjoy the glory that comes from God. And folks, that's not only true of them, that's true of all of us. That's true of me and you. Just as they rejected Christ as king out of love for the glory of man, so every one of us has done the same. In our sin, we have preferred the glory of this world over the glory of heaven. We all, in our sin, love the darkness and hated the light. And in our hearts, we have gladly, all of us have gladly gone along with the crowds in pleading for Christ to be crucified. That was true of them. That's true of you and me. We'd rather have criminals if it meant we might gain some more glory in the earth. That's the truth that Jesus means to bear witness to. And until we come to grips with this truth, our lives will never meaningfully change. To be what they were made to be 
Until we not only agree that this is true, but we are so broken by that truth in our preference for earthly glory in the now that we crucified the king of glory. We've got to not just agree with it, but hate it, be sorrowful over it. This is the truth of Christ that his kingdom bears witness to. But friends, that is not all. That is not the only truth that Jesus comes to bear witness to. As he is bear witness to the truth about men, he also bears witness to the truth about God. Namely, that in Jesus' coming, in his giving himself over, Jesus bears truth to the fact that God is so wildly generous, so incredibly merciful and gracious, so astoundingly loving as to have the king of heaven invade the earth knowing that those glory-stealing men would put him to death so that by that death, those glory-seeking men and women might come to be changed to love God. He did that knowing all of it was going to happen. Look down in John chapter 19, verse 9. Slide down there. This is happening just after Jesus has been mocked and beaten, right? So I want you guys to imagine this. At this point, he's got the crown of thorns shoved on his head. Blood is dripping down his face, right? He has been slashed. His back is charred. It's been brutalized. This is the moment when he, it says John 19, 9, he, Pilate, entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, where are you from? But he gave him no answer. But Jesus gave no answer. Pilate's conscience seems to be stirred. Look at verse 8. He's beginning to wonder if this actually is the Son of God. But Jesus gives no answer. Where are you from? No answer. Because Jesus is on a mission to bear witness to the truth that the Son of God is willing to hand his life over to make sinners into saints. Verse 10. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? And Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. The truth that Jesus embodies and testifies, friends, is this. That man's paltry amount of authority, including at this time the might of Rome, even that is subject to God's authority. And this is so central. If you're not a Christian, this is so central. What I'm about to say, God was willing to let man kill his son so that by his death, as you saw illustrated in Julianne, we that believe might live. That's the truth that Jesus means to bear witness to. That we are far more sinful than we ever imagined. Every day trading the glory of God for the glory that comes from men. Willing to trade robbers for the king of glory. Every day, preferring our own ways over God's ways. And at the very same time, God was willing to let light so, so shine before men. To expose this truth about our sin. And then submit, Jesus submit himself to the wages of sin, which is death. So as to pay, to atone for that sin. For those that believe. To receive the penalty of sin on the cross. And then to overcome it in the resurrection. So that by his life, death and resurrection. He might grant light and life to all that repent and believe upon him. That is the truth that Jesus means to bear witness to. That there's life in him. And God is wildly generous. Offering this free gift of grace to all that would believe. This is the truth that Christ comes to bear witness to. This is why the king of glory would come to the kingdom of the earth to turn the the lights on for we darken sinners. John says it like this in the beginning of his book in verse 4. 
In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Friend, that is real. You've seen it illustrated in Julianne this morning. Jesus is the truth. That's why he has come. He means to enlighten and enliven all the darkness here. Light it up in the light of heaven's glory, which leads to the next question. Who are the ones that are of his kingdom and what do they do? Right? That's that second question. Who are those servants? He said, my servants. Who are those servants? Well, the answer that Jesus gives right here in this passage is Jesus says, everyone who is of or from the truth listens to my voice. There's his answer. Who are the servants of the king of the kingdom? Who are the ones that are citizens of the kingdom of heaven and not citizens of the earth primarily? Well, they are ones, Jesus says, anyone of whom uh, is from the truth that listens to his voice. Anyone that listens to Jesus, who is the truth, is of the truth, meaning they too are citizens of the kingdom. They are no longer, we that are in Christ are no longer defined primarily as citizens of the world. We've been born again, as Jesus says, to a new country. And so when Jesus says, listens to my voice, he means to have us follow in this teaching. That's who are his. That's who's part of the kingdom. Those that hear it and are trying to work it out. As a way of illustrating this, uh, we have an ongoing discussion in our home about music. I like to listen to, uh, to 80s pop. That's what I grew up with. And 90s country music. And we're in the car driving around. Forgot to clear this, sweetheart. Hope this is okay. We're driving around and I've got the music on. We're bopping. I'm, I'm singing normally the chorus because I can't understand the rest of it. And I'm loving it. At which time my beloved and precious wife will say, Nathan, are you listening to these words? And I'll say, well, yeah, it's about this or that or whatever the case may be. She'll then, to de- she'll then describe accurately what this song is about. And as she does so, two things come into my mind. I don't want her to be right, but she's right. So in other words, what's happening in that moment is I was listening, but I wasn't listening. And I think we all do that with the voice of Christ. We listen, but we don't really listen. We claim to listen to his voice by saying that we believe what he teaches. Yes, you, you sign it off. You check it on a, a right church membership. Yes, I believe that. But we don't actually listen as evidenced by our not being careful to follow his words or maybe even study them, think deeply about them, pray them, sing them, meditate upon them. Jesus here is saying that you are of the truth. You are of the kingdom of heaven, not the kingdom of the earth. If you listen, if you hear his words and put it into practice, as James says, you are not hearers only, but doers of the word. These, Jesus says, are the ones that are of the truth, that are of the kingdom of heaven while still here on the earth. They are the ones that have been truly born again and have come to take up citizenship in heaven. In John chapter 3, verse 3, Jesus tells Nicodemus, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So citizens of the kingdom of heaven are those that see, that's those glasses, and hear differently than the people of the earth. 
We see the truth in Christ. We hear the truth in Christ. We then follow his word as evidenced by our striving to love Christ and love each other in the love of Christ and love our common man. And so exude the light and life of men. So exude, so display, so bring pictures to what heaven might be like. Yes, it's true. As Paul says, we still see in a mirror dimly now. If you're not a Christian, wonder, well, why are you guys such, you know, jack wagons? Well, because we see in a mirror dimly now. We're still working it out. But we increasingly study Christ, not just as an academic position, but as a person, because we believe in, in him as light and life from heaven. We are born again to this. I'll give you one illustration, a real illustration of what this might look like when a community of people listens to his voice and becomes more like heaven while they're still on the earth. Let me give you one illustration of this. True story, in the year 125 A.D., so guys, just think about this. John has been dead now for 30 years. Jesus, we're, we're not even 100 years out from when Jesus has ascended. There was a philosopher in Athens whose name was Aristides, and he testified before King Hadrianus. And he does so, this Aristides, he goes before this king because there's all kinds of persecution happening to Christians at this time. That's a historical reality. And this Aristides, guys, who we don't think is a Christian, goes to him and just trying to advocate on their behalf because these are good people. And he just tells King Hadrianus what Christians were like. 125 AD, here's what he said. Now the Christians, O king, by going about and seeking, have found truth. For they know and trust in God, the maker of heaven and earth, who has no fellow. From him they receive those commandments which they have engraved on their minds and which they observed in the hope and the expectation of the world to come. They refuse to worship strange gods and they go their own way in all humility and cheerfulness. Falsehood is not found among them. They love one another. The widow's needs are not ignored and they rescue the orphan from the person who does, not, does him violence. He who has gives to him who has not unbegrudgingly and without boasting. When the Christian finds a stranger, they bring him to their homes and rejoice over him as a true brother. And they do not call brothers those who are bound by blood ties alone, but those who are brethren after the spirit and in God. When one of their poor passes away from the world, each provides for his burial according to his ability. And if they hear of any of their number who are imprisoned or impressed for the name of their Messiah, they provide all his needs. And if it is possible to redeem him, they set him free. If they find poverty in their midst and they do not have spare food, they fast for two or three days in order that the needy might be supplied with the necessities. They observe scrupulously. And the commandments of their Messiah, living honestly and soberly as their Lord God ordered them. Every morning and every hour they praise and thank God for his goodness to them. And for their food and their drink, they offer thanksgiving. Such, O king, is the commandment given to the Christians. And such is their conduct. That's what it looks like to be born again. And to be a community that is oriented by the kingdom of heaven. Not by the kingdom of the earth. Love for Christ, love for each other, love for the world. Sacrificial, even though they are being persecuted. I could give you one million testimonies. This is why church history is amazing. The kingdom of heaven is not of the earth. 
because its king is not of the earth. He's come to embody and testify to the church, to the truth, because the world is shrouded in darkness. And we who have been born again by faith in the gospel of Jesus, we too see in a mirror dimly, but we do see and embody increasingly by grace to embody the kingdom of heaven while still on the earth. So as to compel others in, that's why we do it. For the glory of God, the good of our neighbors, and the good of each other. But lastly, briefly, let me answer that question in the frame in which Pilate probably meant it. What is truth? And walks away. If that's still where you're at, friend, if you're here this morning and you're like, I'm still doubting. I doubt, I question, I still wonder if the truth about God can even be known at all. If that's you, friend, you're here this morning and you sort of say, I'm with Pilate on that. You're doubting. Friend, I lay before you Jesus of Nazareth as the king of the kingdom of heaven. I lay him before you this morning. I lay him before you this morning that his kingdom is not of the world. It's of another one. It's of heaven. That's why, friend, he's so intoxicating to the world. Friend, You cannot deny that Jesus of Nazareth, who lived in the first century, unequivocally changed the entire world. You've got to have an answer for that. It's one of the reasons I came to faith in Christ at 19. That question right there. He's so heavenly. Everything he does and says seems so instinctively right. I lay before you him. Jesus has come to bear witness to the truth. Heaven has come to expose the darkness of the world as darkness and to bring to you the light of of the light of heaven so that you can stop living in the darkness of the world that you're in so that you, friend, can stop bumping your head and your elbows and your foot on the world around you because of the darkness you live in. He's come to turn the lights on, friend. And so I challenge you to my non-Christian friends wrestling with can the truth about God be known? I, I challenge you with this one thing. Take this weekend's Washington Post. Read it. And try to consider all of its instincts, or the New York Times especially, take those and just sort of offer up questions. What is it they understand to be darkness? And what is it they understand to be light? And then take that and then read the book of John, this book right here, and just compare that to what Jesus understands to be darkness and light. Here's what I think you'll find. Just take that. And by the way, if you want somebody to do that with, you come find me. I'll do it with you. Somebody else can walk with you. We'll just walk through and see what the world understands to be darkness and light, what Jesus understands, and we ask God to reveal it to you. Here's what I think you're going to find. If you walk through and do that discipline faithfully, meaningfully trying to engage Jesus as the truth, I believe that you're going to be intoxicated by Christ. I believe that you're going to see heaven in him. And he's going to confront you first and then welcome you into his kingdom through repentance and faith in him. I challenge you with that. The truth of God can be known. The Bible makes it so clear that the truth can be known. Jesus teaches himself, you will know the truth. And what will it do? The truth will set you free. So you can see and stop being so enraptured by sin and darkness of this world. And so friend, turn from sin, turn to the living Christ in faith. He has come for this purpose, to light up a darkened world, to enliven men by the power of his gospel through the community of his saints. And soon enough, beloved, heaven will come to earth in all of its glory. As we we will do, as we said, we will see his glory. And you'll be glad that you lived not for the glory of man, but you'll be glad that you lived for the glory of God in the face of Christ. The answer is clear. 
The kingdom of heaven is not of the earth, but friends, it is for the earth. So turn to Jesus, find in him light and life and rest in him and don't live for the glory of this world. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the gift of your son. He is the king of the kingdom of heaven. He has come to the earth to bear witness to the truth. And Lord, we see this truth in our own hearts, that we are sinners that prefer a criminal over a king. But Lord, we, by your grace, not because of us, have been given eyes. We've been given those glasses to see the king of glory. Oh, teach us to increasingly grow up into him and increasingly love the glory of man less as we give ourselves to not only you, God, but each other and to our common man, that we might be that community that was talked about so long ago and still happening in this church even now and so many other churches throughout history, bearing witness that God is true, Christ is king, and he is redeeming the world unto himself. May we live towards that end, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.